0: As we continue our study in the book of Genesis, in the beginning there was a perfect planet and a perfect pair. Everything was healthy, happy, and holy. Uh, There were no sorrows or sicknesses. There was no cancer or crime. There were no tears nor tragedies. There were no pain or problems. What a contrast we see in the conditions of our world today. I read that every 24 hours, 93 Americans die from guns. 16,000 are raped, mugged, or robbed. 274 babies are born exposed to illicit drugs. 2,748 children quit school. Washington pays over $100 million to foreign creditors in interest on the debt. And 355 U.S. companies go belly up. And 5,500, or 500 Americans lose their jobs. Uh, Those are probably some old statistics there, but uh, that's still a very astounding uh, set of statistics. The FBI estimates that 83% of Americans will be victim of crime at some point in their lives. The FBI says that violent crime has become the major problem in America society. There's a murder that occurs every 21 minutes. There's a rape that takes place every 5 minutes. There's a robbery every 45 seconds. And there's aggravated assault every 29 seconds. Every five minutes, an American teenager is arrested for drug or alcohol offense. Over 80,000 a year. Every 30 minutes, an American teenager is arrested for drunk driving. Nearly 20,000 a year. And the World Health Organization estimates that as many as 10 million people are already infected by the HIV virus. Currently, over 500,000 Americans are being diagnosed with AIDS every year. They predict that by the year, uh, uh, year uh, 2012 or 13, uh, at least 30 million will be affected with AIDS worldwide. Now, I read that on average day, there are 1.1 million patients in hospitals. Now, you consider all of this in light of the fact that in the beginning, everything was perfect, and you can't help but ask the question, what went wrong? Well, Genesis chapter 3 tells us what went wrong. In a nutshell, man said no to God and yes to the devil, and we've been paying for it ever since. Let's notice here what went wrong. First of all, we see, number one, the command God proclaimed the command that God proclaimed. Now we have to go back to chapter 2 and verse 16. It says, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat, or freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. God gave man a maximum of liberty and a minimum of prohibition. Man has was given all the earth to enjoy. But the only restriction was one tree in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, leave it alone. And the story, of course, is well known. First in scene one, we would see how Satan disputed God's command. Satan disputed God's command. We read in chapter three in verse one, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field when which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now we know that the serpent was Satan. This was the first appearance of Satan in the word of God. And at the first appearance, he disputes what has been said. And we see five steps in his dispute uh, of of the word. First of all, he caused a discussion. He caused the discussion. When we read in verse 1, And he said unto the woman, He began speaking to Eve, and in return got Eve to talk to him. Now I've often wondered if Eve had never heard of the devil. I wonder if God had not told Adam and Eve about the devil. We're not told what they knew, but uh, I can't help but feel that God probably told them something about Satan. And yet he is described here as being more subtle than any beast of the field, and that word subtle means crafty. It means cunning. We know about the devil, but people fall prey to him every day. Why? It's because Satan is so cunning and so crafty. So he caused a discussion. Secondly, he created a doubt. He created a doubt. His first words in the Bible were intended to create doubt in Eve's heart about what God said. Satan says here in verse 1: Yea, hath God said? Satan was asking Eve if God said what he meant and meant what he said. He was seeking to plant a question mark in her mind about what God said. And Satan hasn't changed after thousands of years. He's still working to get people to doubt and to question the Word of God. He created a doubt. Thirdly, he conveyed a distortion. He conveyed a distortion. You see, he says in verse 1, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now that's not exactly what God said. Notice again, back in verse 16 of chapter 2, God said... Of every tree of the garden thou mayst freely eat. Now it was a slight change, but nonetheless a change in what God said. Even Eve herself distorted what God said. Notice in chapter 3, verse 2, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now God had not said anything about touching that tree. It was only these slight changes by the addition of a word or two, but nonetheless a change. And that's the way Satan works. He distorts God's word by both abbreviation and by addition. He wants to make God's word say what he wants it to say rather than what God really said. And so he caused a discussion. He created a doubt. He conveyed a distortion. And then fourthly, he cast a denial. He cast a denial. God said in chapter 2 and verse 17, Thou shalt surely die. But notice here what Satan says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 4. It says in verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. He personally, plainly, and perversely denies what God had said. Satan was saying to Eve, I don't care what God has said, you are not going to die. Well, here's one thing you'd better nail down. It doesn't matter what Satan says, but it does matter what God says. In John 8, it tells us that Satan is a liar from the very beginning, and in Hebrews 6, 18, it tells us that it is impossible for God to lie. Satan is a liar, and it's impossible for God to lie. And so he casts a denial. And then number five, he committed a defamation. He committed a defamation Satan says in Genesis 3 and verse 5, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. He calls God a liar. He calls him a charlatan. He calls him a cheat. He tells Eve that the only reason God does not want them to eat of the tree, that it's going to make them like gods. And notice carefully that Satan used the word gods, G-O-D-S. At the very beginning, he was subtly suggesting that God was not the only person that man had to worship. Satan caused a discussion. He conveyed a distortion. He created a doubt. He cast a denial, and he committed a defamation. He was disputing what God had said. Now notice the second scene, and we see here that Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command. Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command. Notice verse 6. It says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. In this one verse... We see why there is sickness, why there is suffering, why there is sorrow, and why there is sin in the world today. You've always heard that the number 13 is an unlucky number, haven't you? Well, we see here in 13 words, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and then, and he did eat. Those 13 words are the explanation for every murder, for every theft. Abused child, beaten wife, rape, war, and disease in all the world's history that has ever been given. The command of God was disobeyed. And the Word of God says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Sin entered in, and everything that is wrong with the world had its beginning. Now, it's important to remember that up to verse 5, everything was okay. There was a temptation, but there was no transgression. It is not sinful to be tempted. The sin is when we yield to the temptation, and we see that it was an infatuation that got to Eve. Notice again in verse 6, and the first part there, it says, And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree de- desire to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. You see, the tree appealed to her physical desires, for, the, for it was good for food. The tree appealed to her emotional desires, because it was pleasant to the eyes. And then the tree appealed to her intellectual desires, for it was a tree desired to make one wise. Now, James uh, tells us, or God tells us in James 1.14, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And that's the way the devil works. He appeals to our God-given desires. He lures us into fulfilling them in a way that God never intended. In Adam's case, it was influence that got him. Uh, We read in verse 6 that Eve gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. She did it, and then he did it. And the Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 33, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. And the idea is that bad people corrupt good people the implication is that those who are doing wrong can influence those who are doing right to do wrong and that's what we often call peer pressure many who took the first drink did it because they were with their friends and they didn't want to be the one left out they didn't want to be the oddball so they took their first drink many young person took their first drugs because of the influence of someone that they were with now that means that we need to be very careful Who we hang around with, and especially young people, you need to be careful who you have company with, because a bad person can influence a good person, and we see that very clearly here. Now, notice Genesis chapter three, verse eight, and it says, "And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the, uh, the voice of the Lord God walking." in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee not that thou shouldst not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to me with, to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat and the lord god said to the woman what is it that thou hast done and the woman said the serpent beguiled me and I did eat and so here we have consciousness of their sin and the confrontation for their sin adam and eve tried to cast the blame elsewhere for their sin adam blamed both eve and god for his his sin and then Uh, He said in verse 12, the woman that thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. How often we do try to blame others for our sin. We say, well, he made me do it, or I did it because they did it. Uh, She's the reason I did this or that. And even at times we blame God. I often hear the homosexual crowd saying, well, God made me this way, so that's why I'm this way. I think about the little boy that came running into the living room one day and holding a dead rat by the tail. And he was yelling, Mommy, Mommy, look at this dead rat. I caught it and beat it on the head with a hammer and then ran over with my tricycle. And then I stomped him with both my feet and I picked him up by the tail and I slammed against the wall. About that time he saw the preacher sitting in the corner and the little boy paused and lowered his voice, bowed his head and said, and then the dear Lord called him home. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of things that we blame others for, and even for God. And we blame God. But Adam couldn't blame Eve, and he couldn't blame God. He was the one that had sinned, he had no one to blame but himself. There's an interesting statement you find over in 1 Timothy. Chapter 2 and verse 14, it says there, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. That's an interesting verse. Adam was not deceived. He knew what he was doing. He could have said yes or he could have said no, but he made the choice himself to eat of the fruit. He had nobody to blame but himself. He couldn't blame Eve, he couldn't blame God. You see, sin is always a choice. You either choose to do wrong or you choose to do right. If you choose to do wrong, you cannot blame anyone but yourself. Eve blamed the devil. She said in verse 13 here, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Now she sounds like the comedian who used to say, the devil made me do it. Uh, The devil may tempt you, The devil may make suggestions and recommendations, but he cannot make you sin. If the devil could make a person sin, he would make everybody sin. And if God cast the devil in the lake of fire tonight, and he rid the world of his evil presence forever, people would still go on sinning. People do not sin because they have to, but because they want to. And we can blame Satan for tempting Adam and Eve, but we cannot blame him for ruining Adam and Eve. They did it to themselves. Now, in verse twelve, Adam said, "I did eat." In verse three, uh, or verse um, thir- uh, verse three, I-, I believe it says there. Uh, excuse me, thirteen. And the woman said, "I did eat." In verse twelve, Adam said, "I did eat." In verse thirteen. Eve said, I did eat. Now, you know who the guilty one is? The I. I did eat, said Adam. And I did eat, said Eve. The guilty one is the I. Satan was the one that disputed God's command, but it was Adam and Eve that disobeyed God's command. So the command of God we see proclaimed here. Now, secondly in the story we also see the curse God pronounced. There was a command that God uh, proclaimed but there was also a curse that God pronounced. Notice beginning in verse 14. And the Lord said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and it shall he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed uh, is the ground for thy sake in sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life thorns also and thistles shall bring it forth bring forth to thee and thou shalt eat the herb of the field and in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till I return unto the till thou return unto the ground for out of it wast thou taken for dust thou art and unto dust thou shalt return now three of the Saddest words in the Bible occur in this particular passage. Thou art cursed. Thou art cursed. Satan was cursed and man was cursed. It was a curse that was brought about about by sin. Sin always has consequences. What were and are the consequences of sin? Well, first of all, we see the suffering that sin brought. The suffering that sin brought. Because of sin, the woman would bear children with great pain and her role in life would be in subordination to her husband. Every contraction and every pain of giving birth to a child reminds us of the curse of sin. Man would have to labor and to work and to sweat and to earn his living. Nothing would be easy and everything would have to be labored for in life every sore muscle and every drop of sweat, every long day, every working and laboring uh, that we do reminds us of the curse of sin. Now the truth is, suffering in any form reminds us of the consequences of sin. We don't know what kind of fruit it was that they ate. You know, uh, I'm not sure that it was an apple. Okay, we're not really told. You know, we have that depicted for us by the artist. Uh, What kind of fruit it was but we can know one thing for sure. It was the most expensive fruit they ever ate. Someone has written, that was a costly meal. The first bite must have been a big one. Uh, Its taste is still in the mouth of human race. If the fruit were an apple, it must have been a crab apple. There has been a bad case of indigestion ever since. Someone else put it this way, the broken laws of God inevitably lead to broken hearts i believe it was rg lee who put it this way the devil always offers high wages but he always pays off in counterfeit money sin always promises substance but it gives shadows sin always promises velvet but it gives a shroud sin always promises nectar but it gives gall sin always promises sleep but it gives nightmares Sin always promises rest, but it gives weariness. You can eat the devil's corn, but he will choke you on the cob. The suffering is one of the consequences that sin brought. The suffering sin brought. Now, secondly, we also see the separation that sin brought. The separation. Notice very carefully here in verse 19. It says, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou... Uh, thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Do you remember what God said at the very beginning about eating of the tree of knowledge knowledge and evil? God said, thou shalt surely die. Now God reminds Adam that he came from the dust of the ground here, and he tells him that he would return to the dust of the ground. He says, you're going to die. You're going to die. Death came to Adam in two ways. First, we see that he ultimately died physically. Uh, Notice Genesis chapter 5 and verse 5. It says, And all the days of Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So that came true. He physically died. Uh, He died. Adam lived 930 years of age. You might say, well, that's a pretty good life. But notice the last three words. And he died. Death came to Adam. Now what is even worse is that Adam immediately died when he ate of that tree spiritually. When he died physically, there was a separation of the soul from the body. But when he died spiritually, there was separation of the spirit from God. And the worst part of the fall and the entrance of sin is that man was separated from God. We see this separation illustrated in chapter 3 here in verse 22. It says there, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil, and now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him, Forth from the Garden of Eden, to till the ground from whence he was taken, and he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Here you find in verse twenty-four, I believe, the first law enforcement officer in the Bible, the cherubims with a flaming sword. To, to guard the garden. Man was now without the Lord and spiritually depraved. Without the Lord, he was without life and he was spiritually dead. Without the Lord and life, he was without light and he was in spiritual darkness. Without the Lord and without life, without light, he was lost and spiritually doomed. And the Word of God says in Romans 3, or 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Man was now a sinner, and yet God made provision for man's sin. Notice the third thing tonight the clothing God provided. The clothing that God provided. Now, if we stopped with the curse that God pronounced, we would all be in a great mess tonight. But thank God there's one verse that speaks of the clothing that God provided. Notice the clothing that God provided. First of all, we see clothing that was inappropriate. Go back to verse 7. In verse 7 it says, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Someone has said that for the first time in history, a man's wife had to go shopping for clothes, and we've never gotten over it. Someone else put it this way in a little rhyme. Adam cried out, I need to cover my carcass. Eve answered, I've ordered a fig leaf from Neiman Marcus. Well, Adam and Eve tried to cover their sin. They made garments out of fig leaves. Ever since sin entered in the world, man has been trying to cover his sin. Man has made his own garments. He's made garments of religion. He's made garments of rules. He's made garments of regulations. He's made garments of righteousness. But the Lord has never accepted man made garments. The best that man can offer God is still not enough. And so we see here, first of all, clothing that was inappropriate. But secondly, there's clothing that was illustrative. It was illustrative. God rejected the man-made garments of fig leaves, and in verse 21, it tells us that God clothed them in coats of skin. Verse 21, it says, And Adam also to his wife did the Lord make coats of skin and clothed them. God was laying down right here a principle and giving them a picture. The principle was that man could not do anything to save himself. Man was the sinner, and God was the Savior. The picture was in the coat of skins. Skins meant that an animal had to die and blood had to be shed. God was stating that the fig leaves of our righteousness is not sufficient. Salvation could only come by the shedding of blood. Notice what God said to Satan in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. It says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. God had told Satan that the seed of a woman would one day bruise his head. Now normally the seed is a reference to the man and the egg is a reference to the woman. But here God is talking about the virgin born son of God. God told Satan that Jesus would one day destroy him, and it was God who was saying to Adam and Eve that Jesus would one day deliver them. The songwriter put it uh, right and correct when he said, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know, we must be clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus to be delivered from the power and the penalty of sin. We read in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even to uh, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. You remember hearing that children's rhyme, Humpty Dumpty? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Someone changed the rhyme and said it this way, Jesus Christ came to our wall. Jesus Christ died for our fall. He slew the queen death and he crushed king's sin and through grace, he put us all back together again. I'm so thankful for the grace and mercy of God who gave us a remedy for this fall. Thank God for that. Now, let me ask you this evening is there something wrong in your life? And I uh, would imagine that very likely most of here tonight on a Sunday evening uh, know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, but there could be someone here tonight. That's never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And I want to invite you to come to Him tonight. Remember, no amount of good works, church attendance, or living in a Christian home can save you. You need to trust the blood of Christ to wash away your sin and make you a child of God. Sin has separated you from God, and by placing your faith in Christ's sacrifice on Calvary's cross, You can have eternal life. Now, what about us as Christians? Are we living for the one who bestowed his grace upon us? You know, we don't deserve it, but there was a moment in time, perhaps uh, you can remember that time very clearly. There was a moment in time when you placed your trust in him for salvation. And the question is are we living? in his grace we trusted his grace to save us but are we living in his grace we're no longer separated from God in that we belong to him but perhaps our fellowship has been broken because of sin in our lives you don't walk with him or talk with him on a daily basis but God wants you to confess your sin and he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness he'll restore your fellowship his grace is greater than our sin. And I thank God for that tonight, and I trust you're thanking God for that tonight. Let's live for Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Heaven, thank You for uh, the wonderful provision that you give, You've given to us. This would be a, a very, very sad story if uh, if it stopped with the, the, the uh, fall of man into sin and the separation from God. But we thank You, Lord, that tonight there is a remedy for that, that sin. Jesus paid it all on Calvary's cross, and we thank You for that because Your grace is greater than our sin, and we can put our faith and trust in You. I pray, Lord, that every man, woman, boy, and girl here, a young person this evening, knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. If there's someone here that does not know Him, I pray that they'll come to know Him soon before it's too late. I pray, Lord, that he, we as Christians... As we go out into this uh, week ahead of us, we will be faithful to live by grace as we have been saved by grace. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation, so great a salvation you've given to us. And we pray your blessing upon this passage of Scripture to our hearts tonight as we meditate upon these things. We pray in Jesus' name.